It is a glorious day to be um, with you and uh, be together and be back in the book of Acts. And uh, because Jesus truly is reigning and ruling and he's doing so very well today at this moment. And so because he is king and he is reigning, we come together to meet together, to worship him, to hear from his word, to be instructed so that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that that may be practiced in everything we say and do. So anytime we gather is a glorious day, regardless of 95 and humid, more like 97 and humid, or zero and cold, which I would prefer. But either time, either opportunity, either circumstance that we gather, it's a glorious opportunity to sit under the Word and to be encouraged, which is exactly what we're going to see today as we look at Acts eight twenty six to 40, is the encouragement of the gospel, being encouraged by the power of of the gospel. So if you would, Acts 8, 26 to 40. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, okay? You ready? Here we go. Acts 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they kept they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would take your word, and you would do, simply through the reading of your word, more than can be accomplished, um, even in, in my simple unpacking of it. So, Holy Spirit, we trust you to do that. Jesus said you would remind us of truth, guide us into truth, counsel us into truth, uh, remind us of everything you've said. You would convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, and all these things. We trust you're working now. So we pray you'd do that, accomplish that this morning. Pray that you would instruct us and teach us in the way you would have us to go and counsel us with your eye on us as David prayed. So we pray that this morning also in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This morning, we're going to look at this passage with this overarching feel of being encouraged by the gospel's power. Um, so far, as we've read through and studied through Acts, no doubt we've read some hard things. And we've read some stuff, man, as we read through the book of Acts, it's sometimes hard to swallow. Right? You read about persecution and difficulty. And, and, and you see also the powerful work of God. And sometimes, just to be very honest with you, it feels like when you're reading and teaching from the Bible, preaching through books of the Bible... Um, it sometimes feels hard and heavy because there's hard and heavy things in the text. But one of the beautiful things about preaching through the Bible, preaching through books, is you don't get to skip hard things. But it's in the study of those hard things that often God does some of His greatest work. An example is last week. Uh, I preached this uh, last Sunday morning and we went home and mobilized and, and, uh, and went up uh, north to Andrews, North Carolina, where I preached at Red Oak Church on Sunday evening. And the passage assigned, because they're studying through the book of James, was James 5, 1 to 6. Now, if you don't know what James 5, 1 to 6 is, you go read that and you'll go, oh, <laughs> uh, I see. And so, one of the beautiful things, though, about studying through books is you don't get to skip hard things. But it's in those hard things that we find some of the greatest grace of God. And so... In the passages we studied in Acts, man, we've had to look at Stephen's being stoned to death for the sake of the gospel. And, of course, that was like 55 minutes, and I kind of skipped out on some of that last stuff because it was 55 minutes, and it was like, oh, it's time to move on. But we studied through these hard things, and it's easy, to, at least for me, to get caught up on, gosh, we just keep seeing persecution, 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 prepare to be persecuted, prepare to be persecuted. And that's hard, and I don't want to always stand here going, wow, prepare to die. And you're like... I think I don't want to die. And however, I would just say this. I want to say this about our church. One of the things we notice is when hard things do hit Three Rivers people, the refrain I hear from Three Rivers people is I've been so well prepared. I've been so well prepared. I've been so well prepared. The word has been sufficient. It's hard. Yes, it's hard. But God's grace is sufficient. I see his hand at work. And that's beautiful. And so as we study through hard passages, just know it has its glorious effect. It has its glorious effect. But sometimes, a lot of times in studying through the Bible, we get to see things like today where we are highly encouraged by the gospel's power. Not challenged, not pushed. And who knows, maybe this passage will challenge you in ways I didn't think it would challenge you. But it's nice to read passages like this that encourage our trust in God's power. And that's exactly what this passage is. It's an encouragement to us about the powerful, powerful gospel. And hopefully will encourage us to wield it well. To wield it well. The church has been empowered. They've been assaulted. But Jesus said it was going to be this way. Jesus is building His church. It's powerful. But sometimes it's bloody. He's building His people though. And Jesus will not fail because Jesus doesn't fail. As we move along the historical narrative of the book of Acts and Jesus building his church, it's almost as if, and I've kind of hit this and alluded to this already, the Lord knew we'd need a break in the difficulty to remind us of his powerful, powerful rule. So he gives us Acts 8, 26 to 40, to encourage our souls as we engage in the work of the kingdom. You know, this week, uh, had to had to come down the mountain 
to to get some things and uh, have no cell phone service. And so my phone started blowing up as I got to the bottom of the hill. And, and I don't know if you were aware of the news this week, but uh, where we're going to be going in a couple of weeks, taking a student and taking a couple of folks from our fellowship to work with some of our people in this particular place, a suicide bomber blew themselves up at the airport that we're going to be in. And so you look at things like that and you go, <laughs> should we really do this? And it's passages like this that remind us that this gospel is powerful. This gospel is bigger than that kind of stuff. This is why we work in the place of the world we work in. A, because Jesus said to disciple the nations. Don't have an option. Secondly, we take great courage in knowing that the gospel is powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. So let's take a look at the passage. Let's make our observations. What do we see? What does it mean? And then we'll make some application to it. Number one, first observation. What do we see? What does it mean? The gospel transformed Philip, and it turned a normal guy into a house built on the rock. The gospel transformed Philip and turned a normal guy into a house built on the rock. Now, I I, I had this. I didn't write it into the notes, but I had this thought early this morning. Um, I, we talked about Stephen and Philip for the past few weeks being normal guys that God used, filled the Spirit, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. And God used these normal guys to do great things. And, and, and I noticed, and I, and I feel like by saying that, I'm, I'm somehow lifting the apostles up as not normal guys. And I, I want to say this, just make this point. Nobody in the narrative of Scripture is special except the King, Jesus There's no superheroes in the Bible. And I think the the scriptures do this for our sake. If you read your Bible through, you'll notice we get to the apex of somebody we think is going to be a great leader. We got David. He's awesome. He's a great warrior. And then he goes and does something dumb. And it causes our expectation of him to crash. We go, well, geez, who's going to really be the leader? And there's only one person in the scriptures that doesn't fail. Jesus. The creator of all things in Genesis 1 and 2. The one who called Abraham in Genesis 12. The one who scattered the nations in Genesis 10. The the one who brought the people through the Red Sea. The one who led them in the wilderness for 40 years and fed them with manna. The one who caused them to go across the Jordan and inherit the land. The one who brought kings and queens from other nations to see His glory. He is the only one who doesn't fail in the narrative. So understand, it's not like the apostles are special. They're not. They're not. had a different role. But we see in this narrative guys like Stephen and guys like Philip, who just normal people, turned into people built on the rock of Jesus Christ. And so we look in this passage, we saw in Acts 8, 1 to 25 last week, Philip and his role in this great Samaritan work of evangelism where Jesus brings Samaritans into the kingdom and witnesses to the apostles that he loves people outside of the nation of Israel too. And now Philip comes and he receives this instruction. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27, and he rose and went. And there, was an Ethi- and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem 
to worship. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Notice a couple things here. Observations about Philip. Number one, Philip was full of the Spirit. Philip was walking, living, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going we're gonna to apply this in just a few minutes. Just going to make the observations. He was full of the Spirit. Acts 6, 1-7. to This guy was chosen to help distribute bread among the widows because he was full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Galatians 5, 22-23 tells us what... Spirit fruitfulness looks like what it looks like before the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So to be full of the Spirit is to have all of it. And by the way, please, please, please be faithful to the text. It is fruit is, not fruits are. And that matters. Because if we say fruits are, then we can build our list. We can exclude the ones we're not good at. But when we say what the text says, the fruit of the Spirit is, it's bad grammar, good theology. Subject-verb agreement is off in that passage. And it's on purpose. Because the fruit is all that. Meaning, if you're in Christ walking with the Spirit, all that is yours. And the, and, and the encouragement is, eat all of it you want. There's no law. Gorge on as much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Eat it all. Live it out. Have it all. Right? Right? And so, therefore, this is who Philip was. He's not special. He's just walking with the Lord. And the Lord is producing all these glorious things in Philip. Notice in verse 29, Philip's aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Philip said, the, the Spirit said to Philip, I want you to go over there and I want you to do this. So Philip is aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're going to say more about this in application in a few minutes. Notice verse 26, jumping back up. Philip was aware of and sensitive to the angelic ministry of the Lord Jesus. He was aware of and sensitive to the angelic ministry of the Lord Jesus. Something we don't often talk about in our tribe. Because it's a little freaky. Talk about it in just a moment. Notice verse 26 and 27, the first part of verse 27. Philip was prepared to go wherever he was led to go in obedience. Now what's interesting here, Philip is in Samaria. That's in the north. You do If, if back of your Bible may have maps... And if it does, that's cool. Look in the New Testament section of maps and do a little geographical looking. Samaria is in the north. The Spirit tells him, or the the angel sent by the Lord tells him, I want you to go down to this area which is below Jerusalem. And there's a road that connects this one city all the way over to the coast, Gaza. I mean, it runs completely across the country. And he tells him, go down to this road. That's a journey. That's not like, hey, I want you to go over here to um, Broad Street and roll. Okay, not a big deal. This is a little more like, I want you to head down to Macon. Huh? Wait a second, I I, I ain't got no time. I, I mean, I got, I only got like an hour for lunch. 
I go to Macon, what do you mean, right? So here he was, prepared to go wherever he was led to go in obedience because the Lord gives him a clear word to go. Notice verse 30 and 35. Philip was prepared to help someone understand the gospel. He was ready to help this Ethiopian understand the good news. Please understand here, Philip isn't left alone in this work. He's been led to this place. And therefore, he's simply reaping the fruit of the work of the Lord Jesus. Philip's prepared, but he's not effectively the single component. He's simply the obedient messenger. He's prepared to help someone understand the gospel. Second observation, we're going to make application in just a minute. I want this to hang on you. I kind of set this up this way on purpose. I want to let the observations hang on you. And then we're going to make some application. So that's just first observation here. Second observation, the gospel... Prepared the Ethiopian. The gospel had prepared the Ethiopian. This is huge. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. You know what Ethiopia is? Africa. The Ethiopian was in Jerusalem. Worshipping. You should ask, why? Well, your Bible tells you a story in the book of Kings. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. We learn this story because do you remember Solomon's prayer of dedication in 2 Chronicles 6, 32 and 33? <coughs> he said, likewise, this is Solomon praying to the Lord and dedicating the temple. When a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name. Remember, we read this a few weeks ago. And your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. That was Solomon's prayer because that was their mission. Now, I don't have time to go back and I've got the itch at some point. I'm going to do this. We're going to study through God as a missionary God. He's got to find the time. It's a talk I did for a missions conference up at Snowbird uh, a couple months ago. You need to see this. This was the point. This was the mission. This was the end. So therefore, Solomon doesn't miss it. And in his prayer of dedication, he understands the goal that the nations may know. That was the purpose of the temple, was to put on display the glory of the Lord for all the nations. And so 1 Kings 10, 1 tells us a story about the Queen of Sheba who comes to hear about the Lord and His wisdom that He had given Solomon. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, 42, Jesus references this event when He says the Queen of the South will rise up with this generation and condemn it because she heard of the wisdom of Solomon and came to see. And I'm here and you won't even listen. And so Jesus spoke of this. This queen of Sheba is believed to be the queen of the people that would become known as Ethiopia. <laughs> you see, what had happened is the gospel had already begun to infect these people. And so therefore, this Ethiopian trapped... You got this... Remember, he can't get on a plane. He doesn't get to get in a car. He's in a chariot with horses driving across deserts. I mean, he has to come across Egypt, the Nile. He, you understand? He's, he's, this, this is not easy. And he's coming to worship. Why? Because the Old Testament taught him. 
that there's a time of the year you're supposed to come to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy says, and if the way is, matter of fact, he had a provision. This is cool. In Deuteronomy 14, there's a provision to get out of it. Bringing all your stuff. So it's not hard. It tells us, if you live too far away, which this guy would qualify. You think Ethiopia's away from Jerusalem? By chariot? A little bit of a drive, right? So here's what you do. You don't have to bring all your tithes. Sell it and make money. So, so it's easier for you. And then bring your money here. And when you get to the temple, buy whatever you like to eat, drink, whatever. Come into my presence and be happy in my presence. Isn't that cool? So that's what he's doing. I love the Lord. I want to follow the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of all things. And so I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to worship him. Why? Because he heard the fame of the Lord. You see, what had happened is this powerful good news brought life to a people from Solomon's witness in such a way that they were going to Jerusalem to worship and were being prepared to receive the gospel. See, the gospel had put the scriptures into the hands of one who needed to be led into understanding it. You notice here what's happening. He's come. He's obeyed Deuteronomy. He's simply, he's got the scriptures. He's obeyed Deuteronomy. He's now returning, and he's sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah. Isn't that awesome? And he doesn't quite understand what he's reading. Now, you've got to keep in mind here, and we're going to hit this in just a minute in observation number three. The Lord has put this perfect storm together. But he's simply reading the scroll Isaiah, doesn't understand what he's reading. The Lord is putting in his path Philip. And what we want to see here and what we want to understand is the gospel had prepared the Ethiopian. God was already at work preparing his heart, building his kingdom, so that just the right moment, at just the right time, it would all come together. Which leads us to our third observation. The gospel provides providential leading and Holy Spirit power. The glorious gospel provides providential leading and Holy Spirit power. Don't you look at the dynamic that comes together here. Look at verse 27. And he rose and went. I love this. Perhaps he argued. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us he argued with the Lord. What we see is the Lord sends his angel. He gives him instruction. And verse 27 simply says, and he rose and went. That's awesome. There was no arguing with the Lord. There was no... Trying to justify getting out of it. There was no, but I'm busy and I'm up in the north. I'm just, I came off a great ministry high. The Samaritans have received the gospel and geez, that's a long way away. And it's really hot down south and I'm not really prepared to travel and I don't have my shots and I don't have a passport and I'm, <laughs> no, he rose and went. By the way, just observation. It very well could be that some of the reasons we don't see the kind of stuff we're about to observe here is because when we receive prompting, we don't obey. I would argue, and I'm going to make state this here in just a second. We're going to look at some of the cool things the Lord does here. The Lord hadn't stopped doing these things, y'all. I know it's uncomfortable in our Southern Baptist tribe to talk about the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, but God hasn't stopped being supernatural. The problem isn't Jesus. The problem is our obedience. And we're going to get to this in application in just a moment, hearing the Spirit. When we hear obeying, hear, He heard. He didn't wait. He didn't put it off. He rose and went. 
He rose and went. There just happened to be a gospel prepared man who's returning from Jerusalem after worshiping. And you think about the timing here. Now, again, I'm speculating at this point. I understand I'm speculating. But this guy's returning and he has stopped, right? He's sitting in his chariot. You notice that? He was sitting. He wasn't driving. He was sitting. And Philip called him at just the right time. You think that's accidental? Or do you think that might have something to do with hearing and obeying instantly? And as he heard and obeyed, he happened upon the chariot at just the right time. Isn't that cool? But also notice verse 28. The Ethiopian just happened to be reading Isaiah 53 which might be the most gospel-rich chapter in the Old Testament. You think that's accidental? And think about this for a second. It's not like he had one of these, or even one of these. He had a scroll, and probably not a scroll of the whole Old Testament. That would be a lot. I'm not, it doesn't say what he had. It just says he's reading Isaiah. Chances that he had the scroll of Isaiah. What are the chances this cat stopped in his chariot reading Isaiah and reading Isaiah 53 right as Philip happens on him? You'd think that's accidental. No, it's not. It's providential. It's the work of God. It's the supernatural power of the gospel at work to put this thing together. Notice here. He also just happened to be reading, not just Isaiah 53, he happened to be reading Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8, which is quoted for you here in the text. Because Philip comes up on him and he says, what are you reading? He didn't say that, but it's like, you know, (laughs) I can imagine that happening. What are you reading, man? No, he didn't do that. He does ask this question, do you understand what you're reading? What a great loaded question. Do you understand what you're reading? It's not offensive. Just a simple introduction. And notice, this is his introduction. Philip runs up to him. Now imagine if I'm the Ethiopian, I'm the foreigner, and some Jewish guy comes running at me in my chariot. I'm like, let's get up and get out of here. He doesn't do that. Philip runs up to him. He recognizes the moment. He hears him reading Isaiah 53, and he asks him this question, do you understand what you're reading? Love is response. How can I unless someone guides me? So he invited him to come and sit with him. And the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. What a glorious thing that's happening. He just happens to be reading a passage about the crucifixion of Jesus. The Ethiopian just happened to need help up understanding the passage. The evangelist Philip, now, notice this, and this new Jesus follower, just happened to be coming to a body of water in the desert. Now, if you look back to verse 26, there's this little inserted statement at the end of verse 26. It says, this is a desert place. Now, Luke puts that there on purpose. Why? Because he's going to have to describe in a few minutes the fact that they happened, just happened upon a body of water in the desert. What are the chances? I mean, do you see the picture? All these improbable things taking place. Why? Because the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. It is providential. The gospel is able to weave together circumstances so that just the right time at the right moment, 
great things happen. I want to real quickly explain, in most of your Bibles, you may be missing verse 37. All right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you're missing verse 37. This is a textual issue. And if you're missing verse 37, chances are it's footnoted and at the bottom of your page. Now, the reason it's footnoted, this is a complete, like, not part of the sermon. I just wrote it in here in parenthesis because I wanted to make sure I explained it to you. If verse 37 is at the bottom of your page, footnoted, it is because... It is not recorded in most manuscripts, okay? Um, meaning, it came along later. It was called redacted or added. Doesn't mean verse 37 is wrong. Just means it doesn't appear in earlier manuscripts, right? It's like in, in John 7 and 8, the story about the woman caught in adultery is not in the earliest manuscripts. Doesn't mean it is wrong. It just wasn't added early on. The New Testament was growing through the time of A.D. 50-ish, 45-ish, to A.D. 70-ish, to 90-ish. I have an opinion about that, but that's not what the purpose of our talk is today. I'm an A.D. 70 guy, and I've got my reasons for that, New Testament scholarship, but that's not what our purpose is today. Anyway, anyway, it's not in there because the earliest manuscripts don't have it. Doesn't mean it didn't happen or wasn't said. It just wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. And in manuscript study, the earliest ones are considered to be most accurate. Right? And so, it's not there. But if it is there, it's probably in a footnote. And very simply, what it says is, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Here's the point. They just happen to be coming to a body of water in the desert. And what does the Ethiopian want to do? He wants to obey Jesus and get baptized. How cool is that? Also notice something really cool in verse 39. You read this and go, hmm. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Philip gets a Holy Spirit rush to a new city. The language of the text leaves open the possibility that this was a supernatural transfer to the city of Azotus, which is on up the coast from Gaza, or that the Spirit hurried his movement along in such a super speed fashion as to get him there quickly. Either way, Philip gets empowered movement to a new city for the work of the kingdom. Because as you're going to read here, he passes on up through and preaches the gospel all the way back up the coast of Caesarea because there were other divine appointments. Listen, the gospel is powerful, supernatural. God does supernatural work. He does providential work through this gospel. And listen, dear Christian, it is a joy to be involved in this kind of work. It is an engagement of the supernatural work of God. So what do we do with this? What are we supposed to do with this stuff we've observed here in Acts 8, 26-40? Number one, listen to this. If you've been transformed by the gospel, I'm not going to assume that's everybody in here. Maybe it is. I trust if you're here on a holiday weekend providentially, if you're not in the faith, God has drawn you here and you need to hear the good news. Chances are, if you're here on a holiday weekend, you've been transformed by the gospel, right? Trust in that's the case. Not that people who aren't haven't been. Just 
My wife's helping her sister who just had surgery. She's not here, but she's been transformed by the gospel. All kinds of reasons you're not here. But if you've been transformed by the gospel, be continually transformed as you walk with the Spirit in His fullness. This is a statement that I don't want to look past. Philip was full of the Spirit. He lived full of the Spirit. His conversion was not the end of his walk with Jesus. This is key. So much emphasis in our tribe is on coming into the faith with zero emphasis in growing up into the faith now. We don't do a real good job of talking about growing up into the faith. Following Jesus. Who is Holy Spirit? How do I walk full of the Spirit? We talk a lot about not going to hell, not a lot about walking with Jesus today. If you've been transformed by the gospel, be continually transformed as you walk with the Spirit in His fullness. And that's Philip. Why did he get chosen to hand out bread? Because he's a good bread hander outer? No. Because the text tells us in Acts 6, 1 to 7, he was full of the Spirit and wisdom. Romans 12, 1 to 2 tells us this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm trying to decide if I want to say what's on my mind. It's not in the... Just move. I'll move forward. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in this passage here, Romans 12, 1-2, is a transition in the book of Romans between Paul's 11 chapters on the justifying, powerful work of the gospel. Chapter 12, verse 3 to the end of the book is all about how that justifying work gets worked out in the life of the church. And the transition verses, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, in light of this glorious, justifying, transforming work of the gospel, now present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is acceptable to God, and that is your spiritual worship. In other words, the presentation of yourself to God as holy His and not your own is where worship begins. We can't come in here and sing, and it mean jack squat, if we have held ourselves for ourselves all week from God and His purposes. That's what I was going to say earlier. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Worship doesn't count because we came in here and sung songs. Songs are vital in worship. What fuels that is being the Philip all week. When he speaks, I obey. When his word is clear, I do what it says. If it's not clear, I learn and I figure it out by asking for help in the community of the kingdom. Make sense? When we live like that, we may come in here and sing songs that can raise the roof off this place. Make sense? That's how we're to be growing daily. This is how we are continually to be living. Because of the glorious work of the gospel, we've been transformed, we've been justified. The great transfer has taken place. Jesus died in our place for our sin. He took all of your guilt, mine, yours, past, present, and future. 
And all of that guilt was transferred to him. So that upon repentance and faith in Christ, he takes all of my guilt and gives me all of his perfection. Because of that, Paul says, now therefore present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. That's your worship. And then he tells us, so don't be conformed to this world system. Don't be like it, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind. If we've been transformed by the gospel, we are to be continually transformed as we walk with the Spirit in His fullness. What made Philip powerful? It's not because Philip's a good guy. It's not because he's a powerful preacher. It's because the Holy Spirit is working in him as he simply obeys. This is good news for us, church. That means all of us have the capacity to be Philip because the capacity isn't in Philip, it's in the Spirit who fills Philip. Does that make sense? Galatians 5, 22-23, which you've read already, the fruit of the Spirit is. Can you imagine a body of people gorging themselves on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Ephesians 1, 18-21, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything. (laughs) Darn. Right? Giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. Not being a sourpuss. Doing that to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, this little participial statement here, being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 1, 18-21 is the key here because he now goes on and defines what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Addressing one another scripturally. Psalms, that doesn't mean I've said this to you before. That doesn't mean turn around saying to each other. Do not ever make me turn around and sing to Joseph Colson because that's gross. I'm not ever going to sing, look him in the eyes and sing songs about Jesus to him. I'm not doing it. That's not what Paul means. If he does, I might have to check out. I'm going to be disobedient. I don't think that's what he means. I think what Paul has in mind here is we address one another with spiritual truths. With things that the Psalms, which are songs, which are words that we are to address one another with. There's encouragement in those words. There's instruction from God in those words. We're to speak God's word to one another. Singing to the Lord. Giving thanks. In other words, if I'm not a thanks giver in everything, I'm not walking filled with the Spirit. Don't we just wish it wasn't in the Bible sometimes? Right? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So being filled with the Spirit looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for because of Jesus. Why out of reverence for Christ? Because Jesus submitted in everything to the Father. That's filled with the Spirit. Listen, it's not weird, strange stuff. We're not talking about boogity, boogity, boogity kind of stuff. We're talking about things right out of the text. Giving thanks for everything. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Gorge yourself in these things. That's a spirit-filled life. 
So very simply, if we've been transformed by the gospel, be continually transformed as you walk with the Spirit in His fullness. Which is a daily discipline, which leads me to number two. What do we do with this? Application number two. We have to grow in our ability to hear the voice of the Spirit. We have to grow in our ability to hear the voice of the Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed, the Scriptures assume we can do that. Why? Because there's no five-step program given in the Bible to listening to the Spirit. You notice? There's an absence. It's not there. If it were, believe me, I'd have it memorized. It's not there. Meaning... We have to learn to read our Bible, pray, and listen. Because listening is more than sound waves entering the ear. Jesus talked about this when He said, Although they hear, they do not understand. Although they see, they do not perceive. Hearing is more Then sound waves entering the ears. Listening is a soul issue. We can listen when we stop talking. We can listen when we get still. We can listen when we get alone. We can listen when we prioritize the voices coming at us. It's not because God's silent. It's because in a culture that values individuals above community, self-esteem above self-mortification, activity above stillness, the idolatry of other people rather than being alone, We simply do not have ears to hear. You see, the reality is that listening to the Spirit is a discipline that comes from following Jesus, reading His Word, talking to Him, and listening. I would argue that the Spirit is not silent. We may simply not have ears not have ears to hear. You see, the Spirit will speak to you consistent with Scripture because He inspired Scripture. And He will speak unique to your situation and always according to the will of the Father. I'm not going to put a ton of qualifiers on that because I don't want you to justify not obeying when He speaks something crazy to you. I would rather you hear a crazy instruction and go, I'm just going to roll with it. Than say, well, you know, I don't know if the Spirit would do that. And I'm not sure God would. uh, And the next thing you know, you've talked yourself out of obedience. And next thing you know, obviously that's not the Lord's will because I've put my list of qualifications on it. I don't want us to do that. I would rather us make a mess out of trying to obey than have ordered, human-centered, all we can get is what we produce with our own effort. Does that make sense? I would rather you mess up 
and have to get corrected by the Scriptures, by somebody who loves you, and by the Spirit Himself, then you do nothing. Listening to the Spirit is a discipline that is gained through the discipline of following Jesus. And dear Christian, that's going to take growth in the Lord. What we see in this text is the result of a Spirit-filled, normal guy following Jesus. And all of us can be that. So grow in your ability to hear the voice of the Spirit. We didn't write this in the notes. Gosh, this all this feels so... Because I say this a lot. I cannot overemphasize the need for you to read the Scriptures. I can't overemphasize it. It's in the manual. It really is in the manual. You'll be surprised at the practical instruction the Spirit will bring from the text as you simply read it. You think it's an accident this week that I happened upon Psalm 2? As... Crazy people, bumbling terrorists were blowing themselves up in airports. You think that's an accident? Or do you think that might be God's good grace to have a Bible reading plan he'd been using for 20 plus years on that particular day, at that particular moment, reading that particular psalm that addressed that particular need? Is that accidental? No. It's in the manual. It's in the manual. You will learn to hear the Spirit as you learn to hear the Word. Third or third application, become aware of the ministry of angels, not so you get distracted by them and be tempted to worship them as John did in the book of Revelation. There's a time when John bowed down and the angel said, get up and say it like that, paraphrase. I'm a servant like you worship God alone. So we need to become aware of the ministry of angels, not so we get distracted by them and be tempted to worship them but so that you may be aware of the times they are sent by the Lord to help you along and bring comfort or bring protection. Hebrews 1.14 says something pretty interesting where the writer of Hebrews is comparing the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the angels and he's highlighting and expanding and growing and putting above Jesus' ministry to angels. And he makes this statement. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Later on, he's going to say, make sure that you are hospitable to strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. You read that passage in Hebrews, strange little things there? Because what we see here in verse 26 is the angel of the Lord said to Philip. And somehow Philip heard that and understood that to be instruction from the Lord. There's this great little passage in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, where Elisha and his servant are now being pursued by a particular king because they realize Elisha has been a voice in the ear of Israel's king to tip them off about them, the other guys. So they're like, go get him. And the servant arises and he looks out and he notices this army coming after them cannot pass a certain point. And there's this great statement. He says, those with us are more than those who are with them. And he opened his eyes and the horses and chariots of fire of the Lord have surrounded them and protected them. Isn't that cool? Give you an illustration of this. There was a time, a few years back, this was just two years back, 
we were in a very difficult city in our difficult country, way, 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 way on the frontier of hard places. And we're with one of our partners helping them do some work. And it's just interesting. You pray more when you're in those hard situations. I just think that's the Lord does that, you know. And this is one of the reasons we don't pray is because we're comfortable. Comfort kills prayer. It just does. But when all of a sudden life and limbs threatened, it's crazy how we pray, isn't it? Oh, dear God, Jesus, help me. Right? It's like it turns into, oh, Lord. Didn't that happen? So I think God in His good grace gives us hard situations to bring us to prayer. I just think He does because He's good like that. So we're in a difficult place, difficult spot, and we're praying, spending time in this inner area that's set aside so that even people who work at this particular location, who are not in the faith, who could be for the bad guys, you just don't know, can't see opportunities to just worship and get alone and talk freely. So we're praying. We're praying particularly about overcoming fear. And the Lord gave this passage of Scripture. And it brought great comfort that His hosts were greater than any force the enemies of the gospel could muster. You see, it's okay to become aware of the angelic ministry of the Lord Jesus because they are His servants and they're sent to serve on behalf of those who inherit eternal life. That's us. Jesus even made a statement about children. You aware of that statement? And angels? Their angels in heaven always see them. You aware Jesus said that? So here's what we need to be aware of. As this angel spoke to Philip and he heard and understood, we need to become aware of the fact that God has ministering spirits who are sent to serve on our behalf for the sake of the gospel. And it is not wrong to be aware of that. Not wrong to be aware of that. If you've served in hard places across this world, you've probably been much more aware of this reality than some who haven't. It's just sort of what comes with being in difficult places. Places where a naturalistic worldview doesn't order our belief system, but the scriptures order our belief system. So much of our understanding of this or even skepticism about this kind of stuff is ordered by a naturalistic worldview, not a biblical worldview. If we come at the world with the lens of the Bible, we have to recognize that God sends his host to protect. And it is okay to ask him to do that, and it's okay to recognize it when it happens. Because there's power in it. There's power in that. Because the gospel is powerful. Application number four. Live, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. That's exactly what Philip was doing. He was ready. He was ready to expound Isaiah 53. He was ready. So live, 1 Peter 3.15. Number five, generously go through Bibles as you give them away. Get the Scriptures into people's hands. I make it a mission of mine to read through. I read through the Old Testament once, New Testament Psalms twice a year in a Bible. And my mission then is to give the thing away to somebody who don't have it. Make notes, put your number in it, phone number, email address, and give it to somebody. Because what we see here when this Ethiopian eunuch is, he's been reading the text and he's coming to Jerusalem to worship. And his heart is prepared and ready the gospel's powerful like that. The Bible's full of the gospel. Genesis Revelation preaches the gospel. Get it in the hands of people. It can save people. 
It's the power of God for salvation, the gospel. The gospel is contained on every page in this book, so put it in the hands of people. Give them away generously and get the scriptures into people's hands so that when we come upon people going, man, you know, I'm not sure what this, what does this mean? And you are ready with that 1 Peter 3.15 readiness to make a defense. Number six, live in the expectation of the supernatural work of the Spirit. Expectancy is a result of trust in something. And if our parents did their job well, we expected good things and timely things from them. Expectancy is a result of depending on one and finding them faithful. If we've walked with Jesus, our expectancy of His work should increase and our faith in Him should increase as we walk with Him. And experiencing the Lord being faithful will increase our tolerance for following His leading into more challenges. And expect the Lord to be faithful and do faithful things in His kingdom. He won't fail you. So as you hear and obey, expect Him to do this kind of stuff. He hasn't stopped working like this. It's not Jesus. It's often us. Number seven, and finally, believe the gospel so powerful we can plant it and expect fruit in the fullness of time. Solomon just obeyed. Now, Solomon didn't finish his life well. But there was a season in Solomon's life he was faithful to the Lord and followed the Lord. And that fruit bore out quite a long time after his death. Listen, Three Rivers Church, the gospel's powerful. Believe it's powerful. And believe it to the point that you plant it and recognize that it may take root 20 years after you are gone. But trust that it's powerful. And it can and will do its leavening work wherever it's sown. The gospel's powerful. And dear church, we can sow it liberally and must sow it liberally. Trusting he will bring fruit in due season. But you know what? We won't sow it if we don't believe it's true. And we won't sow it if we don't believe it's powerful. This passage is here to instruct us and remind us that the gospel's powerful. So be liberal with it. Be liberal with it. Lay it out everywhere you go. Trust that the Lord will do what He said He's going to do and He'll be faithful to you and faithful to us as we obey Him. And so therefore we come to the final piece and that's worship. Notice in verse 39 here of Acts 8, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. You see, the gospel is so powerful and brings us such strong encouragement to get after obeying Jesus that we can come with great rejoicing and rejoice in Him. And that's what corporate worship is for. An opportunity to rejoice in and make much of Jesus who has given us this powerful gospel. So that's what we're going to do now. Pray with me and then we're going to respond in worship. Father, we pray that you would accomplish all your good purpose in this text this morning. Pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people. Father, I pray that you would put great joy in their heart over the gospel and its powerful, powerful work. Holy Spirit, we trust you to weave together the text in the hearts of every person who hears and who has ears to hear. May you accomplish in them everything you set out to accomplish this morning. We pray against the lies of the evil one that would set themselves up against the truth and pray you would crush them with the powerful, powerful good news of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we trust you to make that application and make that come to fruition, please. Pray you would knock down any barrier to obedience to you today. 
Cause us to be reckless in our obedience. We pray you clean up our messes when we're just trying to obey you. We pray that you would be effective in that and make us effective in obeying. We pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Grow our trust in you. Increase our faith and guard that faith from the evil one. Sustain and keep our trust in you. We pray that you would continue to make effective the work of three rivers across the pond and in our country and among our people. We pray you would accomplish in them the building of your church, the expansion of your kingdom. Pray you protect our workers. Make your name great. Build the kingdom today. Pray for South Rome that, Lord, you continue to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we can ask or imagine in making disciples of South Rome. This gospel is powerful. And Lord, we pray that you would put it on display and give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that rejoice, and lips that sing your praise.